Hi. How's everybody doing today? Good. Uh, my name is Daryl Owens. I think you know that already. I'm here to talk to you about uh, some race issues. I'm preaching a sermon today, and it's called Roller Coaster of Love. Now, that might be an odd title, um, and you might wonder why I chose that title. It is an odd title, I'll freely admit, um, but I'll tell you why in a little bit. Okay, just, just, just stay with me. All right, first of all, I just want to tell you that I'm honored to be invited to come up here to talk about such a topic. It is not my favorite thing to do. It is not my favorite topic to preach about. It is sad to me that we have to have preaching about this topic, but I really strongly believe that we have to have preaching about it. I really strongly believe that, that this is important for us to hear. It's important for Christians to embrace these ideas and this topic. It's important for the people who we bring to church to know that we're courageous enough to talk about these topics and that we're not going to shy away from them. And you can't, you cannot, I don't care who you are, you cannot just put race and racism in a little envelope, seal it up, put it in your desk, and close it and never have to think about it again. You cannot do that. And Christians, you definitely cannot do that. Uh, I'm grateful to be here. I'm grateful for Glenn and Danielle inviting us up and taking us out to a really nice dinner last night. It was really, we have, we've had a great time in Portland so far. Uh, we are grateful to be part of the team back in Boston that we're with, especially the Millers, who I think many of you here know, um, some of our dearest friends, the other elder couple in Boston, um, uh, um, Jim and Jennifer Moe, uh, Barbara and I are, are blessed to lead, uh, not lead, but to shepherd the campus ministry in Boston, um, and it's a great thing. We're in a great situation. Our, our boundaries are pleasant, and we love doing what we do. Um, I'll tell you a little bit about me. Um, I am, uh, in September, I turned 53 years old. Uh, I was, uh, you know, we, uh, we grew up, I grew up very, very, very poor. Uh, very poor. Well, actually, uh, the latter half of my childhood was very poor. The first half of my childhood, we're actually pretty wealthy. We had this big three-family house in Dorchester. Uh, my father owned a dry cleaners. Uh, we had Cadillacs. I had a fur coat in the first grade. Um, <laughs> I, I, and I thought, yeah. And then when things hit, oh, it, didn't, it didn't occur to me that my father was involved in some criminal enterprises. That's why we were so wealthy. Um, when I was about seven years old, he was arrested by the Boston police, the agency that I now work for, and taken off to prison. And on my ninth birthday, he was murdered. And that, and that began a really challenging time in our lives. I'm talking uh, poverty like we had never experienced, uh, hunger, uh, lack of resources, lack of clothes, uh, government uh, cheese and meat and stuff. Sometimes you hear, sometimes incidentally, you'll hear people say, wow, government cheese is really good. They didn't have to eat it. I'm sorry. You didn't have to have it. If you thought it was really good, you didn't have to have it. You had the option of going to the grocery store and buying some real cheese. But if you had to have government cheese, the government peanut butter, government meat, you didn't have to eat it. Um, so, so it was tough. It was tough. And I know that uh, for me, the realities of how I came up 
are inseparable from my racial identity. I can't, I can't separate them out. I, can't, I, I really can't do that. I know that uh, the, the criminal enterprise that my father decided to undertake, uh, the fact that he was murdered by some former associates in that criminal enterprise when he decided to clean himself up, the, the incarceration that he suffered, uh, the lack of education that was in my neighborhood, the violence that was in my neighborhood, the fear that was in my neighborhood, they're inseparable from the fact that I identify as an African-American man. Inseparable. And you know, I am so grateful to be a disciple. I'm so grateful to be a Christian. I'm so grateful to be standing here in front of a diverse crowd. This is, this is amazing. Um, I think it is one of our strengths as a movement, the fact that we are diverse and the fact that we can love each other. However, we don't always get it perfect. We don't, in fact, it's kind of a roller coaster, isn't it? We don't, always, we don't always get that love for each other perfect. You know, faith is believing in something we cannot see. Faith is the object of hope. Love is a demonstration of our faith and hope, but love is a roller coaster. It's up and down, it's treacherous, it's dangerous, it's risky. And the reason why I entitled the message about race, Roller Coaster of Love, is because one day before I wrote this message a couple of years ago, uh, we brought in, I work at the police academy, and we brought in, you know those, those little... Uh, Size charts. Anybody? Are you familiar with roller coasters in this room? I'm just oh, checking. Yeah. Right. So, okay. So you know those little size charts that you, you have to walk by before. You, we had one at the academy. We were giving it as a as a joke gift to one of our recruits who was challenged uh, in height. So we were giving that. We were giving. And so I sat there. They they, they hid it in my office. That's all right. They, they they hid it in my office, and I was reading it, and I thought. I like those rules. So, as I'm beginning to preach a sermon about race, we're going to start with some roller coaster rules. Okay? Come on. Rule number one. I just have three. Rule number one. These are not my points. I haven't started those yet. (laughs) Rule number one. You must have attained this height to ride this attraction. In other words, be mature as we talk about this issue. Be mature. Um, This is a hard topic. It is a painful topic for some. But be mature. And this is exactly what I mean by being mature. Listen for information and inspiration, not just affirmation. I'll say that again. Listen for inspiration and information, not just affirmation. Don't be sitting there thinking that this guy is going to say something that I want him to say. And when he says my thing, he's going to collect the biggest amen that I've ever given. Don't do that. Rule number two, keep your hands inside the car at all times and look straight ahead. Don't look at each other. Don't think about I hope that this is good. I hope that so-and-so is listening to this. Don't look to so-and-so. If you do that on a real roller coaster, you get jacked up. <laughs> if you try to look for how your friend is doing in a car behind you, you're going to get jacked up. So keep your head facing forward and 
Keep your hands inside the car. Don't nudge anybody. Don't point at anybody. If you point on a real roller coaster, you get jacked up. That's right. So don't do it here. We're on a roller coaster. And number three, remove all articles of loose clothing that may fly off during the ride. Your rose-colored glasses may fly off. Your red ball cap with a political phrase on it may fly off. Your t-shirt with a political phrase about who matters may fall off. Instead, put on the full armor of God. So, so those are my roller coaster rules. And, and here are my points. Am I done? I'm not done. But I, you know, I could be done right there, couldn't I? All right, amen. Thank you. You're listening. All right. So here are my three points. Point number one is going to be listen to the oppressed, and when you speak, speak life. Rule number two, or point number two, is preach with your deeds, not just your words. And point number three is, have you tried the porcupine? Yes. That's point number three. Okay. Sermon, here it is. Okay. Listen to the oppressed, and when you speak, speak life. I'm going to put it out there right now, okay? I'm going to put it out there right now. I I love this church, and I love the membership of this church. And I love the fact that I'm in America, and that I get to stand up here, and I can preach my convictions about this topic and about the faith, and I have no fear of repercussion because I'm here. But I'm going to tell you something. America has a terrible record of excluding groups. It's terrible. Women, LGBT, Hispanics and Latinos, Asians, Native Americans, people with developmental disabilities, people with intellectual disabilities, the mentally ill. But I have to tell you, no group has been more horribly treated or discriminated against than African Americans. Maybe I just feel that way because that's how I identify. Or maybe it's slavery and the Jim Crow movement and the civil rights movement and mass incarcerations. Maybe it's that. Maybe it's not just my emotions. Maybe it's real fact, real history. Racism is real. It is really real. And it is really painful. And it is really hurtful. To sit, to stand here and talk to you about this topic is not what hurts me. To do the research that's necessary to get me up here to talk to you, that's what hurts me. Let's go to the, let's go to the scriptures. Amen. We're going to open up to John chapter 4. Probably, and I'm reminding myself of my friend Kevin Miller, probably my favorite chapter in the Gospels. This is probably my favorite chapter. Single story in the Gospels. It's Jesus with the Samaritan woman. John chapter 4, verse 1. I'll start right there. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although in fact, it was not John who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. To Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. And if you hear that, 
If you hear, now he had to go through Samaria. Through Samaria. You can almost hear the Debbie Downer music playing, right? Like, wah, wah. He had to go back through Samaria. Samaria wasn't where Jews wanted to be. Jews didn't want to be there. Jews had a huge amount of discrimination against the Samaritans. And vice versa. These are two groups of people who didn't like each other. There were real racial tensions between the Jews and the Samaritans. And they were, like I said, from both sides. And, although it may be a little bit of a stretch, we can probably imagine some things that happened today in the United States could happen back then. Here are some things that happen now when people feel, they're not directly racist, but these are some feelings that people can feel towards other groups. A comfort leading to complacency. The idea of my life is just fine, so why should I trouble those waters? Um, a general distrust. I am 53 years old, and a police officer, and quite a bit of a nerd, just so you know. I love the Discovery Channel. I'd rather watch it than almost anything. My poor wife. Okay? But sometimes when I'm walking down the street, I can notice women pulling their handbag off the side that I'm on and putting it on the other side. Me. I'm pretty safe to be around. As a matter of fact, you're pretty safe when you're around me. <laughs> but a general mistrust, a casual indifference, which is the opposite of love. Which makes it sin. An unspoken feeling of superiority. An unwillingness to confront biases as they are discovered in yourself. An unwillingness to feel something and go, oh, that was ugly, and then not deal with it. Which is sin. A cockiness that leads to inappropriate and insensitive racial joking. Avoidance of topics and people. And then just flat out exclusion. These are things that we can feel. And you may have felt some of these things towards race, racial groups that are not your own. And you may have self-apologized saying, well, that's not really racist. But it really is. Does this sound familiar? Has this, has in, have any of these things made it into the fellowship? Have you been a host or carrier of any of these viruses into the fellowship? I, I, I want you to think. I don't necessarily want you to answer me. We'll have some time to talk after. Verse 5. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from his journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? And then there's a little, there's something in parentheses there in verse 8 that I want you to put in your back pocket. It says, his disciples had gone into town to buy food. Just remember I said that. Remember I'm saying this. 
fold it up, put it in your back pocket, okay? I'm going to get back to that later. Jesus answered her, oh, I'm sorry, verse 9. The Samaritan woman said to him, you're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. You, I'm sorry, how can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God and who, and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. You've got to love Jesus here. Jesus is stepping way outside of his culture in two areas. Number one, he's speaking to a Samaritan. Number two, he's speaking to a woman. And he's saying, hey, can you, can you give me something to drink? And she right away, she questions it. Right away, she's like, hey, you're a Jew. I, she probably could tell by the way he was dressed. You're a Jew, or his accent, or his look, or the fact that he was way different from her. She knew it. You're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan woman. What are you doing? And he told her, if you knew who I was, you'd be asking me, homie. Right? He just let her know. If you really got it, you would have asked me for something. Let's go skip down to verse 21. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans will worship you Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when true worship will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one you are speaking to, I am he. When the woman raises the issue of their racial differences and her discomfort, Jesus doesn't just tuck that away and go, ooh, I don't want to talk, I don't think I want to talk about that right now with this one. She's struggling. Hands off. Oh, this is a hot issue. This is a hook. I don't want to get hooked into this conversation. I'm not comfortable. I'm not prepared. I'm not knowledgeable. I don't want to offend. I don't want to hurt. I don't want to annoy. I don't want to frustrate. I don't want repercussions. I'm just going to back off and not deal with it. Jesus says, you know what? You know what? You're right. There's, some, there's something going on here. You guys kind of don't get this whole worship thing. We kind of do. But let me tell you what's coming. There's coming a day when that's not going to matter. Jesus listened to her. He listened to an oppressed person who was feeling and channeling her oppression as she spoke to Jesus, who was considered in the superior class. Jesus listened to her, heard that she was channeling her aggression in this interaction, and did not shut her down, listened to her, but then when he opened his mouth, he spoke life. Amen. He spoke salvation. Let me tell you something. There are people who look like me, and look like you, and look like everyone else in this room, who feel oppressed. Sin is the biggest oppressor. Sin itself, Satan himself, is the biggest oppressor in the universe. So people feel oppressed. 
We need to not let people's feelings of oppression steer us away from speaking life to them. If you are a baptized disciple of Jesus this morning, if you are a carrier of the Holy Spirit of God, you do have the answers. You do. You have the solutions. What are you doing with it? What are you doing with it? Are you getting sucked in to this wave of current controversy and division? Are you getting sucked into this perceived lack of, lack of personal identity that you might be struggling with right now? Are you getting sucked into that? I don't, I don't know how I feel about all of this. Are you getting sucked into that? Or are you listening to God's word and bringing the words of life to the oppressed. I can tell you that is what I needed. That is what I needed. I grew up, matured, became a police officer, found my dream girl, was happy, or so I thought, but in my heart I was still oppressed. In my heart I still felt the oppression and burden of being a black man in America who was judged by that fact by most people when I first met them. To this day, most people would def- define me as the black guy. Most people, people outside of this fellowship don't really define me that way. I had, we had a great time with the other Owenses yesterday. <laughs> and the other Barbara Owens was saying that this doesn't really occur to her as much anymore. She doesn't really see this anymore. And I was like, I like you, Barbara Owens. I like you. I like the other one, too. A little more. Sorry. But, but I like that. I like that. I talked to Gwen Paradis the other night at a wedding. I love, love Gwen. Love her. Do not ever mess with Gwen and let me hear about it. It will not be. Just letting you know. It will not be a good day for you. <laughs> I've known Gwen since the day she was born. And I love, she's born September 14th. That's the day before my birthday. So Gwen and I have always loved each other. I mean, just really. Ever since she was a baby, we have loved each other. So don't mess with Gwen. But we had a conversation the other day. And I thought, you're another one who doesn't, who doesn't get this. This, this whole idea of racial discrimination totally misses Barbara Owens's and Gwen Powell. It just misses their hearts. They just, yeah. It just misses them. They just don't get it. They don't understand why people feel oppressed, and they don't understand why people feel superior. They just don't get it. They're trying to get it, which I very much appreciate. I like them both. But they don't get it. And, but we're not all like that. We're not all from that background. In fact, when I became a disciple, I had dinner at the first white family's house that I had ever had dinner at. I was raised not to trust white people. That's how I was raised. That's what I heard over and over again. Don't trust them. They will hurt you. That's what I heard. That's how I was raised. But the power of the gospel overcame that. You guys know who Jogatozi is? <laughs> Some, you laugh if you know. He is, he is probably my best friend outside of my physical brother on earth. Joe and I are so different that it's comical. 
but we are so bonded. We actually go to teen camp every year together and stay in a cabin together. We call it our buddy moon. Um, and we, have a, we have a great time. And our wives say, how can you guys possibly get along for a whole week? And we're like, well, we're fine. What are you talking about? It's awesome. I love Joe, and we're different. But had I not become a disciple, I would have not, not only not been his friend, I would have never met him. I would have never talked to him. God gave me that. So what are you doing? What do you do when someone wants to speak about their oppression? What are you doing? I say listen to them. Believe their emotions. And come alongside them. Just be there. You don't have to solve it. You, you, You can't solve it. But come alongside them. Point number two. Preach with your words, not your deeds. This one is for my young friends. I love you. I do. I love you, young people. You are so brave. You really are. I think this generation is one of the bravest, one of the most courageous, socially courageous generations I've ever seen. This generation that we call the millennials. You are so brave, which helps you to be so crazy evangelistic. You guys are evangelistic in ways that frightened us a little bit, those 53-year-olds. We're like, whoa, you did that? Whoa. You're so brave. You are so talented. You aspire to do, not only do you have your academic pursuits, but you have your artistic pursuits. Almost all of you, something that you do to display a God-given gift, you are so talented. You are more fiscally and environmentally responsible than any generation that precedes you in this modern era. When I was your age, some of you college students in the room, when I was your age, I was already so steeped in debt, and many of you cannot even relate to that because you're so responsible. But one thing I'm not fired up about you. You talk too much. You do. Words, 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 words. Did you know that? Did you even know that? You probably don't know that because you have come to age in a 24-hour news cycle. When I was your age, we could watch the news at 11 p.m. or at 6 p.m. or at 12 noon or at 6 a.m. And there were 30-minute broadcasts, and that's all the news we got. And if you wanted more news, you could read the newspaper, which was printed the night before. But you guys have a 24-hour news cycle. You can get news every second of that 24 hours. Anytime you want, and you carry it with you on your cell phone. You can have news all day. So you've been indoctrinated for words. But you use them too much, and there's not enough action in my opinion. You've missed something. Your service is what this world needs. This world has so... Some of you are so unique. Many of you, all of you, are completely unique. But your words are not. Your words are not unique. No matter who you are, there is someone else your age and your generation saying the exact same thing. But God has crafted you into a personality with gifts and talents and abilities and relationships that when you serve, no one can serve exactly like you. Wow. 
God has created you to serve, not necessarily to talk and post. That is not what you are created for. You are not called to talk and post exclusively. There's a young man in Boston that I love. I won't mention his name. I love this guy. He is so talented. We're, we're actually really close. I really want him to use his gift in an art form that I really love, which is hip-hop. I love hip-hop. It's, it's like, it's who I am. I mean, not this new stuff. I don't understand it. I'm talking about the older stuff with eight bars and harmony and telling a story. You know, I love that stuff. I don't understand the new arrhythmic mumbling stuff. I don't get it. <laughs> Sorry if that's your gig. Sorry. <laughs> I ain't trying to hurt you. But I don't, I don't understand it. But it's a powerful medium. And there are kids who would be able to relate to you. Imagine this. A young Christian man who has this gift who can perform this gift without being violent, overly sexual, overly materialistic. He can just perform this gift. Imagine that young man going into youth centers and training kids how to put a clean rhyme together. He could change. He holds the, I told him, you, you'll hold the axis of history in your hand if you just wield it properly. James 2.14 says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters? If someone claims to have faith, but has no deeds, can such faith sustain them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and well fed. James agrees with me. But does nothing about their physical needs. What good is it? In the same way, faith by itself is, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. I know that this is an unjust world we live in. I know it. I am a police officer and a black man, so I have my foot in two households. I have one foot in each household. I always tell the joke, I can get kicked out of either cookout and a drop of a dime. By just telling what I think or what I know, I get kicked out of either cookout and a drop of a dime. I can. And in fact, we went to a, a celebration at my aunt's house where somebody asked me about a very highly publicized police shooting. My uncle, who was a very liberal, very big-time politician in Boston for many years, asked me what I thought about this shooting, and I told him. I told him what my training said. And he just said, have you had something to eat? And I said, yeah, I did. He said, good, because it might be time for you to leave. I kind of kept that to myself, put that in my pocket, and I told my wife and kids, hey, ladies, let's go. Why? Oh, no, it's time to go. Kept that one to myself because I didn't want to. I did. I think it might be my wife's first time hearing that. I didn't want to hurt my daughter's relationship with this uncle. But I was like, "Yo, y'all, it's time to bounce. We gotta get up out of here. Like, <laughs> it's time to go." And the same thing. Sometimes there was there was another uh, police shooting, and I was in the classroom at the academy. 
and I was teaching some cops about what this shooting really was, that it was excessive force, that it was racist, that, it, that, that we're living in a racist system, I almost got run out of the honor rail. I kicked out of both cookouts. But you know what cookout I don't get kicked out of? This one. This one because the truth, out in the world, guess what? The truth has no friends. And I'm going to tell you this, young people. If you are pursuing coalition with the world because the world agrees with where you stand politically, you will ultimately be extremely disappointed at best, hurt at worst. The world is unreliable. Back to the Samaritan woman. Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went to town, went back to town, and said to the people, come and see the man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. And you know, this is where Jesus said look, to his disciples when they came back, look, the fields are white unto the harvest. Remember that? Take that scripture out of your pocket in verse 8. Do you ever think about verse 8 at all? Do you ever think about why Jesus sent 12 guys in a foreign country to get lunch for 13? Would that be impractical? If I'm hanging with 12 of you, if I'm hanging out with 12 of you and I say, hey guys, you hungry? Yeah, we're hungry. Why don't the 12 of you guys go get lunch for all 13 of us? That's impractical, isn't it? It's not impractical for your Savior. Your Savior, I believe, wanted the disciples to feel out of place so they could develop compassion for the loads of people that the Samaritan woman would bring to him. I believe he wanted them to feel out of place so that they would, it would compute to them how the Samaritans felt out of place when among the Jews. So they could love the Samaritans. He said, go get us some burgers and fries, guys. Twelve guys, you can, two guys can carry lunch for 13 people. Two guys can do it. He sent 12. I believe he wanted them to get a taste of how it is to be a stranger in a strange land so that they could have compassion on the Samaritans when they came back. And so back to faith and deeds, go get your people. Go get them and bring them to Jesus. Amen. You can bring them to racial parity if you want, but ultimately they will be at best disappointed, at worst hurt, at very worst lost permanently, Bring them back to Jesus. This is one thing that your generation has, I think, forgotten about. Go back and get yours. In my generation, this is what we did. Now, when I was young, not many people made it out of oppression. When I was in the fifth grade, I was a really smart kid. I was really clever. I was good at English and good at math. I went and asked my teacher if I could start tutoring the younger kids. I asked. I said, hey... I get this. Can I have some third graders that I can tutor and bring out of this? Because I saw it. I saw that my education was a ticket out of my oppression. When I was 25 years old, I started my own karate class in the inner city. I did that because karate saved my life. 
Recently, Barbara started a Saturday Academy at her job. I started a teen academy at my job. Why? Bring them out of oppression. Not only have we reached back to bring people out of their oppression, but we've reached back to bring our family out of their sin. Here are the people that have become Christians since Barbara and I have become Christian. My sister, her husband, Barbara's sister, Barbara's sister's husband, two of their children. All of them said they studied the Bible because they wanted what Barbara and I had. Recently, Barbara saw her co-worker baptized. Recently, my two daughters, who are now Christians, they're also Christians. Recently, my two daughters, uh, they studied with Emma Miller. Emma Miller is uh, an intense disciple of Jesus. That girl is on fire for the Lord. At teen camp, Emma Miller is sitting up at the log cabin studying the Bible with other little girls, and my daughters helped Emma Miller to become Christians. My daughters have also been involved in five or six or seven girls being baptized since they've been in the campus ministry Amen. in Boston. Amen. Awesome. Go get your people. Amen. Go get them. Go get them. But don't think that they will not be disappointed if you just bring them to a place where they can exercise their racial power or their political power. That is going to burn That's going to burn. And we want to bring many more. My dear young people, your language is powerful, but it comes nowhere close to what your deeds can be. In verse 39, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed two days. He was just there for lunch. He stayed for two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. But now we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this man is really the savior of the world. Point number three. You've been waiting for it, haven't you? (laughs) Point number three is, have you tried the porcupine? So, like I said, I like the Discovery Channel. I like the Travel Channel. I like Food Network. I love and and am obsessed with Andrew Zimmern. You know who he is? He's the Bizarre Foods guy. Well, there's this episode, and since, since I first preached this, it's been edited down in this one little moment that I love has been edited out of this episode. I'm going to write him a letter and say, put that back. <laughs> anyway, he's, he, is, he is up in Alaska with some Athabascan women, some humans, they call themselves. It, the Inuit people, Inuit means human. We used to call them Eskimos, but they call themselves the humans. That's what they call themselves. Because they lived in an ecosystem where the humans were together, so they called themselves the humans, and that's what Inuit mean. Eskimo is not a good term to use. They don't like that. Okay? So he's with these women, and they're taking him around, and they're showing him everything they do and every, every way they live and all the ways that they eat. They're eating some really, in my opinion, some really adventurous food. Okay? He is, at one point, he's... he's sitting at a ceremony that they call a potlatch, which is they've killed a moose, and they're eating moose nose soup, and he's 
And he's kind of gross. That's why I like him. I'm still, a, a, I'm 53, but I'm still a boy at heart. So he's eating, he's eating some uh, moose nose snoop and soup. And he's making a comment about, if you can see the hair on the moose nose, it's really good. He's gross like that. I'm, it appeals to me. I'm a little boy at heart. Anyway, in the midst of, he's doing a stand-up in front of the camera. And in the midst of his, this stand-up, this woman, one of the women who he's visiting, comes out and she's got a piece of porcupine on a plate. And she says, Andrew, have you tried the porcupine? And then she said something brilliant. She said, I'm curious to how it tastes to you because to me it's only porcupine. I want to know how it tastes. And he paused and he said, you know, usually people will say it tastes like Chicken, or it tastes like pork, or it tastes like beef, but you want to know how I think about it. And Barbara can attest, when she asked that question, I went bananas. And I was like, she's brilliant. And my wife and daughters were like, she gave him some porcupine, dude, what are you doing? And I'm like, she's brilliant because she asked a question to gain what his experience was. She didn't implant an answer. She didn't give him an answer that she wants. She didn't give him a multiple choice question. She gave him an open response. And she waited for the answer. My point about have you tried the porcupine is ask good questions. Ask each other good questions. Ask people who are racially different from you, who may be experiencing this current age in a different way than you are, ask them how it feels. And don't try to export your own answer into their heart. Don't try to do that. It makes the process flawed. It makes the process of seeking information flawed. This woman on, on Bizarre Foods just wanted an authentic answer. And she was not primed to be, offense, to, to be offended if he said, I don't really care for this. She just wanted to know. She, you, ever ask, you ever feel someone's asking you a question and they're primed to be offended at your answer? So I, had, I did this presentation up in another church. And after we were done, we did some question and answer. And I had talked about how I feel about racial issues and talked about where I'm coming from. And one guy raised his hand, and I could tell, you can always tell. If you do what I do, you can tell this guy. And I was like, I was like, yo, that's close, man. Like, what? And I was like, yes. He said, how do you feel about Black Lives Matter? And I was like, it rings true. The statement itself rings true. And he went, I mean, how do you feel about the movement? And I said, any movement of man can be corrupted. It's a movement of man. Any movement of man that starts with a good idea can be corrupted. So I'm not saying it's corrupted now. Whether it is or not, it will be one day. If it remains a movement of man. It will be one day. And I feel the same about someone who might wear a red hat with letters on it. I don't know if it's corrupted. 
but it's a movement of man, it will be one day. We've got to ask better questions than that. He asked a question. He asked a question primed to be offended. He was ready to be offended. And I just kind of dipped and dodged it. Didn't offend him, but answered his question. But we've got to ask questions with open ends. Jesus asked a lot of really great questions in the book of John. I'm going to read you some. Turning around, Jesus saw, you don't have to write these down, you can write them down, but you don't have to turn them, I'm going to go fast. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? John 1.38. Yeah. Woman, why do you involve me? John 2.4. You're Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things? John 3.10. I've spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will, it, will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? John 3.12. Will you give me a drink? The way this conversation we're talking about today started in John 4, 7. Do you want to get well? John 5, 6. How can you, be- how, how can you believe since you accept the glory from one another but do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? John 5, 44. But since you, I'm sorry. Where shall we buy bread for all these people? John 6, 5. And you know what he did after that. (laughs) Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, teaching about eating his flesh and drinking his blood, Jesus said to him, does this offend you? John 6, 61. You You do not want to leave too, do you? John 6, 67. And on and on. I gave you the first 13 questions of 25 in the book of John that Jesus asked. Brothers and sisters, this is a, this is a very complicated issue. This is a very complicated issue, and it is, it is prickly. And I cannot cover it in these 42 minutes that I've been talking to you. I can't do it. But you can do some work here. You can. If you've ever loved anyone on this earth or love anyone now, you know it's a roller coaster. It is. It's full of chills and thrills and apparent danger and risk and delight. And then you get back right back in line again at some point. <laughs> Let's, brother, let's, let's make a commitment to continue to ride this ride. Continue this, to ride this ride buckled completely in the gospel. That's the only way to really ride it. Continue to listen to each other. Continue to listen to people who are oppressed. And when you open your mouth to speak to them, don't question, don't accuse, don't speak your own offense. Speak life. And that's in the Gospels. Continue serving and sharing your faith with this lost world. Yes, you may continue to talk. I know I blasted talking and posting. You can still do that. But don't let your words be greater than your deeds. And brothers and sisters, ask good questions. The Petruzzi's asked Barbara and I some great questions last night. And they learned some things about us that I think surprised them. 
And we, felt, and we feel so close to them now. Mm. We feel so close to them. And they just said, tell us more about that. Or sometimes it was just a facial expression like, tell me more. And we feel so close to them because they ask good questions. Yeah. I believe that's what Jesus intended for us all. Yeah. Yeah. I believe that's why this fellowship, that God painted this mosaic of fellowship with all these different colors. Because he wants us to know each other. To prepare us for the great feast in heaven. Amen. I hope that was helpful, brothers and sisters. I know it was great. Ah.